Okay, so one of the things I wanted to say, you know, as I was reading through this book, uh, or as I have been reading through it, that I don't want you to get the wrong idea about, is the book was it was really, I believe, uh, the, the author, this was his master's thesis. So it's written in a report format, and... Uh, I was thinking about this yesterday, and I've talked a little bit about this with Hone as well this morning, is that, you just didn't know that, did you, Hone? He uh, looked surprised. Is that I don't want you to think that what this book is promoting is a system, okay? It's not like, okay, pull out the list, do one, two, three, and four, and this is what you need to do. I think we need to look at it more as as Christians, understanding what it means to grow in our walk with Christ and to grow in our faith, there are certain things that are beneficial. And so I would rather that you, instead of looking at the book as just a system, that you look at it as maybe a guideline or a template to help you with your Christian walk. Just for instance, as those of you that like to cook, you have a recipe you know, and you can just follow that recipe exactly down the line by the numbers, and you may get the exact results that the recipe calls for, or if you're a particular cook, you might say, well, I need to adjust a little bit here or a little bit there, or if you're a, a mechanic like Mr. Patterson and some of us that play at that type thing, if you're adjusting a carburetor, even though diesels don't have carburetors, I understand that, but, um, you know, the guideline might say to adjust the air-fuel mixture on that carburetor, you turn it out one and a half turns to start, and that becomes a reference point, okay? So it's a guideline. So I'd like you to look at the book as <clears throat> more of a guideline, not just necessarily a system that is being uh, purported. So last week, we concluded, I'm going to get to the section here, the vastness of subjects in Puritan meditation. Uh, we were talking about the different things that we could meditate on in our walk. Uh, and we, one of the things we, we talked about was meditating on sin to overcome it. Okay. So that would be our meditating on various aspects of our sin itself. Also, uh, since we have been saved from our sin, a suggestion is to meditate on those things that remind us of the horrible and heinous nature of our sin. I mean, our, our sin condemns us to death and to hell for eternity. Okay, so... Um, Meditating on that to help us overcome that. Um, you know, there's a comment in here that says, when we truly see our sin in its horrible and heinous nature, then and only then will we become completely earnest in fighting it. Remember we talked about this last week, that a lot of people, we had to have a tendency to say, well, yeah, I'm a, I'm a sinner, I'm, I'm not quite as bad as Ben here, so relatively speaking, <laughs> relatively speaking, I'm okay. 
That's a horrible way to understand things. We need to understand sin from the standpoint and whether you are a murderer, rapist, whatever you are, versus a person who tells one little, and I don't even like the term, they call it white lie, but that means like a small lie. That, yes, there may be the consequences and the penalty for that in hell may be greater, I don't know, but the punishment would be the same. Without Christ, all men are condemned to death and hell. So, understanding how, how great our sin is. You know, there was another quote in here. It says, sin is feasting upon the most rotten, spoiled, filthy garbage and spitting it into the loving face of our Savior. That was by a Puritan named Haywood. So, anyway, um, another thing that it says that we can do, and as I mentioned, the book has two aspects. In this chapter, it has two aspects. The first part is meditating or things that you can meditate upon, things about God and His Word to meditate. And then the second part of the book is meditating on God Himself. So, uh, sort of wrapping up on what we were doing last week, we also, as far as things to meditate on, we can meditate on the foolishness and the consequences of our sins. How, uh, how many of you here, I mean, we're all sinners, but some of you, I'm looking at one side of the table, and you may not be at this point, but then I'm looking at the other side of the table. How many... Remember in Psalm 25 where it says, Oh God, please don't remember the sins of my what? Sins of my youth. And those of us that are on this side can look at those things and say, Lord, that was... Is everybody okay? Okay, I just... We can look at those things and say, How foolish was I? So, using those things to reflect upon those things... Um, to meditate on the foolishness and the consequences of our sin. And I would say, as an admonishment and encouragement to the young people here, don't take the attitude that I took, that I have to experience it myself in order to know, know about how uh, terrible sin is. Listen to those that are older listen to those who have made those mistakes listen to those who have walked in ways that they should have not walked uh, so meditating upon a subject would be meditating upon the consequences of our sin also and the foolishness of our sin the other thing that it has in the book that it talks about is that we can meditate on um, particular subjects designed to conquer a particular temptation in sin. You know, we all have we all have different areas in our lives that we struggle. Now, there are certain things that we we all struggle with. Uh, the book uses the example here, um, the subject of maybe pride. You know, when we 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 meditate that uh, we have a tendency at times to think, well, I'm really something. Or I really understand things, and you don't understand, and that is pride or a lack of humility. Well, the Bible says that that's a sin. And so, meditating upon those things 
minds on a specific subject, God can use those to help us uh, overcome those. Henry Skugel had a comment where he said, humility arises, arises from the consideration of our failings. This is why William Finner's primary text for his work on meditation was Haggai 1.5, Consider Your Ways. And, and then just in closing of this part, part before we go into the next section, meditating on God, um, the Bible verse, 1 Corinthians 10.13, is given where Paul encourages the believer in his fight with sin and it reads, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. But, with, but will with the temptation always make a way to escape, so that you may be able to bear it. That was Corinthians 10.13. So, God says in his word that no temptation will come upon us, that he does not give us the uh, strength and ability through the power of the Holy Spirit, not of ourselves, to overcome those sins. So those are some suggestions as far as uh, specific subjects to meditate on. Now as we move to the next portion here in our book, where we're talking about me um, meditating on God himself, and in reality all of these things should be me meditating on, we're meditating upon God, but specific aspects of God. Um, one of the things here, one of the Puritans, um, Richard Baxter, said that God's nature should be the first and primary subject of Christian meditation. So God's nature, who God is, should be the very first thing. Nothing so expands the heart and soul of the believer to meditation than to consider the beautiful jewel in the diadem of God's person. So... What are some things we can do if we're meditating on God's nature that would be helpful to us? Well, uh, the first one it gives is uh, meditating on his nature. Psalm 145.5 says, um, I will speak or meditate of the glorious honor of thy majesty and of thy wondrous works. So we meditate on the goodness and the greatness of God. Now, we may not think that we do this, but we meditate on a lot of things during the day. Uh, and it's disciplining our minds so that we meditate on the glorious things of God. I think I, I had mentioned a couple weeks ago, I think uh, Charlie was teaching, that one of the things this course has helped me to think about more is Every aspect of life, whether I'm at work, whether I'm taking out the garbage, whether I'm doing whatever it is, is how can I see God in this event that's happening in my life, in meditating upon that. Even, even in things that we would consider not so good things, you know, uh, you know, as, as I think I told you last year was a quite a interesting and challenging year for me. I would never have asked for a year like I had last year, but I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world because God has used that in many ways to draw me closer to himself. You know, that's an active thought, thinking about that. So, uh, meditating on his glorious nature. You know, I there was a song, I know this is not in the book, and 
This might be a sacrilege for those who sing only psalms, but what this made me think about when I heard meditate on the glorious nature of God, there was a hymn, I guess it may be in our Psalter hymnal, but we used to sing it when I was a boy, the song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his glorious face, and the things of earth will become strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And I think that's what this is saying here. That we're to turn our eyes upon him. So, to meditate on his nature. Um, Oliver Haywood said, let your thoughts be exercised upon the infinite, eternal, and incomprehensible majesty of God. Here you may lose yourself in the vast ocean of blessed essence, yet launch not too far, but bound your thoughts by the sure compass of Scripture. So, in our meditation, we're also being given a little warning here, that anything in our meditation that we might meditate upon, we need to make sure that it is undergirded or directed by the whole of Scripture. That's where that's where some within Christendom get into trouble. They start meditating upon things and then they, for lack of a word, I'm going to say, they invent things. Okay? And so it's the... the what was that, Phil? Phil, what, what were you going to say? Right. Right. Yes, sir. I would say, do not let your meditation become speculation. Dwell deeply upon the things that God has said, and do not let your meditating time wander into areas where God has not spoken. Calvin would say, we can, we can go as far as Scripture takes us, and then if we take one more step, we step into the abyss. Uh, there are no safe steps beyond uh, where Scripture takes us. Um, if, I, if I could address, especially the young men, it's not like the rest of us are not susceptible to sin. Uh, many of you are familiar, or some of you are familiar, with John Owen's uh, three works on dealing with sin and temptation and indwelling sin uh, that... Uh, that were developed out of sermons that he gave when he was a chaplain of young men at a university. So that's the context in which he became so concerned with helping people overcome sin. Did not um, that that season of life for that particular demographic did not suddenly become a, a dreadful season for dealing with temptation. With the advent of the internet, uh, or even print media, um, so I, you know, I noticed he doesn't have any quotes from Owen uh, in a section. But uh, if you if you read those three uh, Crossway a few years ago, pulled uh, them into a uh, helpful paperback with uh, with some guides, or you can get the old uh, volume six of his works. Um, but if you read those three books, a lot of it deals with meditating on how how bad sin is, meditating on how bad the consequences is, those kinds of things. Um, and one of the conclusions then is to meditate on God Himself 
because it is God himself, uh, in contrast to whom we see the, the horrors of sin. And it is God himself who is not only our only hope, but his glory is our purpose for battling against sin. So, you know, this isn't just, you know, what, what uh, Elder David is talking about. It isn't just um, guidance for uh, exercise, mental exercises that Christians should do. Uh, when, when you're dealing with real life, uh, and some of you men in a, in a room, uh, in a room like this, there I know there are some of you men who, who are dealing with this. Uh, you, the path to mortifying the sins that you're dealing with is this meditation upon God. Is this meditation? Thank you. So, <clears throat> another thing it talks about our meditation should be on God's attributes, you know, uh, such as his omniscience, his omnipotence, and his omnipresence. Meditating on other attributes such as God's goodness, his patience, his mercy, his justice, his wrath, and God's changelessness. He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then one of the other things it says we should should meditate upon when we think about his attributes is to ponder every aspect of God's love. You know, Hone and I were talking about this this morning a little bit. You know, sometimes our conversations follow with things we have to do that day, but I found that uh, since coming to more of understanding the Reformed faith over the years, that we really like to be theologically correct, precision in everything we say and do. And I think that's very good and that's very important. But do we also talk about the love of God? Like, why? Ho and I were discussing this question. The question is, with some to say, well, God didn't die for everybody. That's not fair. I said, no, that's not the, that's not the right question we should be asking. The question we should be asking is, why would God redeem me? Why would God call me? And it's out of his great love for his, his chosen. So anyway, meditating on God's love. A lot of times I think we can come across, we might be very sincere in our faith, but uh, we might present that there's not much love there. So it's very important that we meditate upon the love of God in our lives and what he's done for us. Um, another thing it says we should meditate on God's work and providential dealings. I mean, how different does that make our life when we consider that as child of God, that the events that happen in our lives, God is directing and moving and uh, bringing those things about for our edification and for our growth. It's not, it's not always easy to think that, is it? Um, and then there are other things, you know, like I use the example of, of this past year. These are not things that I would have said, yeah, I want all these things to happen. I want, you know, one lady that works for me to get hit by a car and another lady to die. I mean, you know, they ran 
my business, and so you can see that traumatized me in different areas, but but I can see God's great hand in all of this as well. So I think we need to reflect upon the everyday things, the circumstances in our lives that we don't consider so pleasurable that God is even using those things. Um, he talks a little bit about in the book, it was, I believe, it, uh, John Flavel. Uh, he talks about, he wrote about sailors. I guess he had some dealing with people that were sailors that were on ship and how they had been helped uh, and survived various sea wrecks, you know, at sea and the province of God in that area. So Watson instructed the Christian to meditate upon his own experiences. This raises the believer to thankfulness and helps him obey God. Another thing it says we should be meditating on is meditating on eternity. Uh, it says many Christians struggle with carnal perspectives of life because they disobey the Spirit's command. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are temporal, uh, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So we meditate on eternity. Uh, uh, in the book, he was talking about the, uh, no, I'm sorry, it wasn't in this book. I was reading a book last night about the Beatitudes and by James Montgomery Boyce, and he was talking about he went to Russia years ago. He was talking about eternity, and he said one of the things he noticed between the Russians and the Americans, Americans, we have this very uh, sort of a, oh, I don't know what word I would use, Thinking about heaven and the things of God, very much a factual type thing. Oh, yeah, when we die, our souls taken from here and put in heaven with the, the Lord. And it, there was not much life or enthusiasm or spirit with that. But whereas when he spoke with the Russian people who had lived through communism and this great debauchery and, and godlessness in their society, the way they viewed heaven and eternity was much different. Yes, they had the intellectual knowledge of heaven, but they longed for that day that they would be in heaven with their Lord and Savior. So, meditating upon eternity for those things. And uh, one of the things that, in that course of meditation on eternity, would be the subject of death, judgment, heaven, and hell. Psalms 90.12 says, So teach us to number our days. You know, when I was uh, 15, 16, 17, 18, I thought 30 was a long way away. Now at 64, I'm thinking, wow. Now I still feel like an 18-year-old. Somebody asked me the other day, they said, uh, you know, those of you who don't know, I bought a little motorcycle a couple months ago. And uh, somebody said, you feel like an 18-year-old? I said, when I'm riding it, but when I hit the ground, I feel like a 64-year-old. <laughs> so, but, but to meditate on those things, you know, our days will be short upon this earth. And before you know it, you're going to be where I am. You're going to be where some of the others in this room are. Uh, you'll look at your children. You know, I looked at when I had seven little babies all waiting for daddy to come home with worms to feed them. 
Okay? And now I have one left. Just like it was overnight. I remember the day I married Karen. It was like it was yesterday. That's 39 years ago. So, anyway, your life is very short. Short. So, consider the things of God and your impact here on this earth. Meditate on the uh, certainty of death. In Ecclesiastes uh, 7.2 it says, It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to its heart. In other words, our life, you know, it's for a moment. Don't make your focus in this life on the things of this world. Make your focus in this life on the things of God. Okay? Consider the, the brevity of life and the certainty of death. Um, and then it, it says, uh, next subject is, or subject of meditation regarding God is meditate on God's judgment. Hebrews 9.27 that says it's appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment. So all of us will stand before God. And when we stand before Him, the only thing that separates the one who is regenerate or the one who is saved from those that the sinner is what? The righteousness of Jesus Christ. Not anything that I or you have done. So we need to meditate on God's uh, judgment. One of the comments that says, what are the benefits of meditating on the day of judgment? This is from Watson. Watson taught that meditation on the day of judgment would not only make us evaluate our actions, right? You know, you might even run into people who won't do certain things. They may not be a Christian, but they don't won't do things because they think somehow they're going to be judged for this, right? And they will. Uh, we will be judged for the things, but God has forgiven us because he sees the righteousness of Christ in that. So, meditate uh, on those things and, and evaluate the actions. And then, it has meditate on the glories of heaven. Um, so, how does a believer keep his heart in heaven? Baxter explained, by the diligent practice of the excellent duty of heavenly med meditation being the main thing intended by the author in writing the book. So, the author here is saying that if there's anything I want you to take away from this book is the practice of heavenly meditation uh, and to keep our heart on heaven. Colossians 3, 1-4 through 4 says, If then ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on the things of this earth, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Those of us that know the Lord as our Savior will one day sit with the Lord in glory. We won't have any of the issues of this life any longer to contend with. And that should be something that brings hope and encouragement to us, even in this life. And then the last thing is meditating on the sobering reality of hell. You know, I think a lot of times when I read this portion, this subtitle here, what it made me think of is, 
think at times we have a tendency to think, okay, I am the Lord is my Savior. I've been forgiven my sin, and we go on with our life. But we think there's a world out there of those who do not know the Lord. And uh, in the book here, the author says he used to have a, a president of the college where he attended. He would say a phrase he never forgot. The most sobering reality in the world is that people are dying and going to hell today. And not that we, in a sense, are responsible for changing our minds because God is the one that does that work. But we should be considering how can God use us and the gravity of that. Those of you that have especially loved ones in your family that know not the Lord, this should, this should be a burden upon your heart. Uh, and, and asking God to give you a desire to tell or to warn other people about the impending um, punishment that is before those that are without Christ. So, anyway, this concludes... Our chapter 8, are there any comments that anybody would like to make as we close here? Yes, Mr. Honey. I'm, I'm sure that somebody said this somewhere along the line, but let me just repeat it anyway. <clears throat> One of the difficulties that we have in talking about meditation in my case is that we don't really think too much about what exactly do we mean by meditate. And I'm reminded of the time when I was in the Navy. We would do all these weird and wonderful exercises running around doing this and that and the next thing, and none of them made any sense. And what we didn't understand was the Navy was throwing at us all kinds of situations that we had not considered for ourselves so that we had answers prepared for when those situations actually did happen. And what meditation does for us is enable us, as we think about the character of God, for example, and we start thinking through some of the implications of what let's say His justice means, then we begin to understand a little bit more of what exactly our relationship is with God, our relationship is with the world, what the world's relationship is with God, what um, God's relationship is with everything. And as we think some of our things through, we begin to run into opportunities as, a, as we're living our life to notice that the things that we've thought about in meditation are actually happening in life. And we begin to recognize God's hand in the way the world is operating. So if we're talking about God's justice, for example, we will notice that there are times when things happen that are really weird, and yet if you think the way through it, you can see, well, just a minute, that's the result of what this person did over here, which was stupid. Uh, we were talking this morning about putting your hand on top of the stove when it's very, very hot. That's not a wise thing to do. But... If you happen to do that, then you can see that this is not unjust in God's behavior. This is something that's perfect justice. He has warned us about heat. He has shown us how fire works. He has shown us what happens when we're busy cooking stuff, and that we still do it. The 
reason why that becomes important is when you're talking to somebody who's not a Christian, and they say, this and this and this is the way things work, by meditating on God's justice, for example, you can show them why what they're saying doesn't actually matter. There is a better way of looking at things. And so little by little, our understanding of God growing enables us to be more thoughtful and more thoughtful in the way that we operate in our lives. Thank you. Anyone else? All right, honey, please close us in prayer and ask God to be with us in our worship of Him today. Oh Lord, our merciful and gracious God, we thank you for the glory that you have revealed to us, both in the Word and in the life of Jesus Christ. We ask you, merciful Father, that as we consider our standing before you, and as we consider what your Word has to teach us this day, that we will grow in our understanding of you, and in our love and concern to share your glory with the world around us. And we ask, merciful Father, that you will take each and every one of us and use us for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.